weeks, we have been, as you know, in a rather long uh, excursion examining foundational beliefs, and we began last week uh, the topic of us. And last week, we spoke about our origin. How did we get here? And I uh, suggested to you, and I hope persuasively, that it makes a whole lot more sense to believe uh, that we got here by supernatural intervention of a creator God rather than by naturalistic evolutionary processes. I think we settled that question, and so here we are. And so that leads to the next question, the one I would like for us to address tonight, and that is this. Well, now that we done got here, what are we doing here? What are we supposed to be doing? Uh, we examined the question of our origin, and tonight let's think about our purpose. What is our purpose? And for those of you who kind of trail off if we go a little too long or maybe have to leave a little early, let me just tell you right at the outset what I think our God-given purpose is. It's twofold, and it's this. Our purpose is to relate to God personally and to reflect God publicly. And I, I wonder if you would be willing to repeat that with me because uh, I want us to repeat it frequently during the evening. So would you say it with me? Our purpose is to relate to God personally and reflect God publicly. So it's a twofold purpose, and if you look at it carefully, you will see the second part of it cannot be fulfilled unless the first one is taken care of. It's not possible to skip over the first one. One has to first relate to God personally in order to reflect Him publicly. So let's examine that one first. There's this marvelous verse of Scripture, a phrase of which I want to share with you now. We spoke about it in prior weeks. Let's do it again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it simply says, and God created man in his own image. And that phrase, in his own image, is stock full of significance, the likes of which I have not yet discovered. I think that phrase is a treasure trove of insight. Let me just share a, a little bit tonight, but I, I admit to you we're not scratching the surface. What does it mean to be created in God's own image? I don't think a physical resemblance is in view here. I don't think God is a short, gray-haired, little Jewish guy. I just, as much as I would like to think, I don't think we're talking about a physical resemblance here. We're talking about something much more profound and significant. You know, the Bible tells us that this God, who is not an impersonal force, who has personality, brings with it a mind, intellect, emotions, he has affections, and a will. We read about God's will. And if this says that we have been created in his image, I think that's the equipment with which we have been equipped as well. So the creator has given you and I as well a mind, an intellectual capacity, a heart, a capacity to emote, and a will, a volitional or a capacity or a capacity to choose. And you could determine the purpose of a thing by seeing with, by, by observing the equipment with which it is equipped. So if God gave us, think about it, a mind, a heart, and a will, why? I think it's because he gave us a mind so that we can think about him. 
and understand him to the extent we're able to. And I think he gave us a heart so that we would be devoted to him and love him. And I think he gave us a will so that we would bend it to his will, so that we would yield to him. And so can you see if you use those faculties for purposes that supplant the primary purpose, if you use your mind and your heart and your will for purposes other than to usher you into relationship with the Creator, you're not operating according to your intended purpose. Because remember, our purpose is to relate to God personally. Folks, we are built for it. It is God's design for us. And in so doing, he made us much different than he did anything else in the creation order. If you're familiar with the creation account, you remember how God brought other things to be. He simply said, let there be. That's what it says throughout Genesis. And God said, let there be light and let there be heavens and earth and vegetation and trees and stars and fish and birds and insects and animals. And so in the power of God's spoken word, all that is, is. It came to be in the power of his word. That's how he created all things except us. When you get to the sixth day of creation, as recorded in Genesis, when it comes to the creation of uses, the language of Genesis 1 dramatically changes. It moves from the rather impersonal formula, let there be, to something categorically different. This is what it says, for instance, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 uh, this is the account of the sixth day of creation. Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So now we move from the impersonal formula of let there be to language of community and relationship. Us and our posit relationship. In order for there to be an us, there has to be more than one. Our means more than one. And I believe this is, of course, a reference to the trinity of persons in the Godhead. A community shared between Father, Son, and Spirit from time immemorial. And a community of relationship into which we have been invited to participate. And so the language is entirely different here. Let us make man in our image so that man, humankind, can enjoy fellowship, communion with us because it is our purpose to relate to God in a personal way. We find out more about how we were created in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, we read this in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We had a rather humbling beginning. Adam, first man, was made of dust. In fact, that's what Adam means. It means ground. It means dust. It, mean, it means dirt, folks. I tried to clean it up, but... That's what it means. And so can you see we had a very down-to-earth kind of beginning. 
In fact, the stuff, the chemical stuff of which we are made, really is not all that different from the chemical stuff which comprises the bodies of animals. But there's something different about us. You see, the dust thing is not all there is to it. Though, in fact, God did form us from the dust of the ground, he also personally and directly breathed into first man, notice, the breath of life. And that alone distinguishes God's handiwork in bringing us to be as over against everything else he created. So we come from earth, yes, indeed, but we also come from God's own breath. Think about it. God gathered together dust, just dust, from the earth. Somehow, as only he could do, he formed it into a human body, and then he breathed life into it. So God exhaled. Man, first man, inhaled. And suddenly he had life. Man was not. And then suddenly man was and the first thing first man sensed, think about it, was the very nearness of God. So near that he could sense his closeness and even the warmth of his breath. Don't you see? We were made for intimacy with Almighty God. That's God's intended purpose for us. Our purpose, folks, is to relate to God personally. Now, we live in a day when so many people are trying to find themselves. And so they're asking the question, who am I? Identity crisis, you know. But did you realize the first question put to man in the Bible is not the who am I question. It's one entirely different, and you can see it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And they, Adam, Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, Garden of Eden. It was in the cool of the day, nothing to be afraid of. It wasn't nighttime. And the man and his wife hid themselves. What are they afraid of? Why are they hiding? Well, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And isn't that a bit irrational? How can you hide in God's world amongst the trees which he himself spoke into existence in the power of his word? It's the irrationality of a person on the run from God. Anyway, they hide themselves among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Ah, not who are you. Where are you? So that's the first question of the Bible, not the who are you question. So today, so many of us are on a quest for a sense of meaning and purpose. And so we're beginning our journey with the wrong question. Who am I? But God's first question put to man and woman was, where are you? What is your position with regard to your maker? That is a very fundamental and necessary question. It must be answered correctly or you'll never enter into a sense of value and worth and purpose and significance. Are you close to God? Where are you? Or are you distant from him? You see, our purpose is to relate to God personally. And therefore, if you cannot find a sense of identity and worth and purpose, could it be it's because you're trying to do so apart from the God who gave you life to begin with? So where are you? 
You cannot possibly know who you are if you don't first know where you are. And when you're rightly related to God, the God who gave us life to begin with, you can then know your identity and your value and your purpose. And our purpose is a much higher one than that which God gave to fish and birds and animals and all the rest. When God wanted these critters to be, he simply commanded the earth to produce them, and they were produced. But when he wanted us to be, he was personally involved, and he made us in his own image. Why? Ah, I don't see any other conclusion. It's because our purpose is to relate to God personally. Now, folks, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, you may not succeed in attaining material or financial success in life. You may not. You may not be given the job you want. You may not have good health. So many in our midst don't. You may not be as physically attractive as you'd like. We're all on a quest to do the best with what we got. So you, you just may not look like you would like to look. You may not graduate with honors. You may, you may not be feeded fairly and lovingly by people close to you. You may lack the very things of life, many of them, and in fact experience so many of the pains of life. And yet it occurred to me, you and I can still live in accordance with God's intended purpose for our life if our purpose is to relate to God personally. Think about the possibility of all of life's circumstances, pleasant and unpleasant, driving us into the very loving arms of God. I wonder if we could sense the warmth of his loving, creative breath again. Our prayer pastor speaks to us always about snuggling up to God. That is the concept. So in spite of all the losses, wounds, and hurts of life, illness, sickness, death, loss of a loved one, good night, nobody here is immune from it. In fact, so many of you good people are deeply wounded even as we sit here tonight. And it is so good that you've come uh, to be in a congregation tonight. In spite of all of that, I wonder if those things could be signals driving us into the very loving arms of God. That today in our staff meeting, one of our staff members, Gary Bradley, was speaking to us about how he and his family were returning recently from a vacation trip. I believe he said North Carolina. And he said in the course of making their way back here to Houston, he lost transmission fluid, a significant volume of it, uh, such that their uh, safe arrival was in jeopardy. And they were in the middle. I think he used the phrase of... Um, Something nowhere USA, or I don't forget what he said. I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't know mechanic. He doesn't know what. And, and anyway, he found the place and was able to put some transmission fluid in, and, and they drove all the way back 1,200 miles and arrived safely in Houston. And, and then Gary said, God really took care of us. Well, I just thought about that. It's not the most significant thing in the world. It's not the Red Seas parting. It's not any of that. And yet... It's Gary Bradley revealing that he's living according to his intended purpose. That circumstances drove him to Almighty God because he couldn't literally drive anywhere else. And so I wonder if maybe we're praying amiss for one another. I wonder if we pray too hard that God get us out of our travail, that God too quickly heal us, that God to suddenly provide the job we want. I wonder if you and I would dare 
not be so quick to pray for the alleviation of pain and discomfort, which we all experience. I wonder if maybe he'll move us instead to pray, oh God, in that terribly excruciating life circumstance which my friend, my church family member is going through now, oh God, would you see fit to use it to accentuate that person's hold on you? Would you use it, oh God, to bring that person into a closer and more intimate fellowship with you than that person would otherwise have? Oh, God, I know you'll not allow that person to experience more than he or she can handle. And so would you let it just run its course? Oh, God, I'd like to pray for a quick fix for that person. I would love for that person to experience pleasure rather than pain. But I wonder, oh, God, if in the sense of loss in the woundedness, if in the scary diagnosis of chronic illness, if in the unemployment, I wonder, oh, God, if that person might rediscover you as near loving creator God. And so I pray instead of healing and health and wealth that comes quickly as if from a divine Santa Claus. I wonder if instead you'll use all this, oh God, to help this person come closer to you than ever before. My dear friends, do you believe in eternity? If so, shouldn't we be praying for one another's eternal gain instead of just temporal ease? Could I challenge you to do something the next time we get together? And I'm so glad we do so often in church, whether it be in Bible study or other times, we pray for one another, and we ought to. Maybe you can couple with each prayer for someone's physical well-being. Maybe we could say, and now, oh God, I pray that through their, their physical needs and impairment, they might experience spiritual wellness. So, oh God, you who created the human body and could speak healing into that person in a second, oh God, uh, your will be done if that's what you choose to do. But maybe, maybe it's better if I pray you sustain that person through it until it produces in that person a growing hunger for closeness and intimacy with you that will fare them well, not just here, but there. So this, for me, rediscovery of my life's purpose to relate privately and personally to God has changed things. I just thought about something. I can't lose, come what may, and neither can you. Think about it. In good times, run to the arms of the Lord Jesus. In bad times, run to the arms of the Lord Jesus. I love this verse in Nahum. The Lord is good. A stronghold. When? It doesn't say in the day of prosperity and smooth sailing. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows. Oh, it's a relationship term. He knows those who seek refuge in him. So my fellow Christians... Would you pray for me? And I want to pray for, let's pray for one another. Whatever it is that you allow to happen, oh, sovereign God, would you use it towards the end that we, 
would accomplish our life's purpose, and that is to relate to you personally. This we can do in good times, and I think, be honest, even more effectively in bad times. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I seek thy word. Let's face it, folks. When we're at the end of ourselves, we're empty enough to make room for daddy. We can't lose in good times or in bad. So let's pray just a little differently for one another. Now let's consider uh, a little more briefly the second aspect of our life's purpose. Our purpose is to, would you say it with me again, relate to God personally and reflect God publicly. You see... God did not make all things in his own image, not even angels. You can't find that in the scriptures. That is something that is distinctively reserved for us. He made us in his own image. Therefore, you and I, you are an image bearer. That's who you are in life. You're an image bearer. You're made, so am I, to reflect the very image of Almighty God. You're made in God's own image so that you can image forth his glory. Take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You'll see how this happens. And God blessed them. People, the first peeps. God blessed them. And God said to them, he communicated with them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's what happened. God blessed first man. God spoke to them. God gave them dominion over all other created things. In fact, he created all other things in order for man to make use of them. Why? Think about it. As Adam and early other humans would do this and go here and there throughout the earth, being fruitful, multiplying, being in control of the environment, making wonderful use of what God has graciously provided, they would be living proof of what? <laughs> they would be living proof of the sovereignty of God who provided it all. They would be living proof of the goodness of God who made it available. They would be living proof of the love of God. They would be living proof of the guidance of God. They would be living proof of the personal involvement of God in our lives. They would be living proof of the very presence of Almighty God. And folks, nothing has changed to this very day. That's why God wants his kids to do well in life and in so doing reflect his glory. That's our purpose, to reflect God publicly. Now, once again, you may not have much of what the world has to offer. Right now, you may be at a tremendous loss of that which is significant. In fact, you may be experiencing a good deal of pain, but I ask you again, and I don't mean to minimize your pain, but so what? Can't you even with it realize your life's purpose, which is to reflect God publicly? Have you ever been in a spot where you're really crushed in spirit? You don't really know how you're going to go on. And then you enter into conversation with someone, usually not of your own doing. And somehow you hear these words coming out of you. And you're saying to this person, you're saying, I'm really hurting. Thanks for asking me how I'm doing. I'm not doing well. In fact, uh, I don't know how I'm going to make it in various respects. And yet, somehow I know in my spirit, somehow I know inside of me 
that God did not bring me this far to abandon me in the desert. Somehow I'm persuaded that the Lord will continue to be my help. And I'm persuaded by it because I have a history with God. And He has never let me down. He has never not met my needs. He has never neglected me, abused me, nor abandoned me. I have a record in Scripture and I have a record in my own life and I have a record in the lives of others who are living proof of the faithfulness of a loving God. And somehow I know, though I'm crushed in spirit, really broken and can barely conduct myself in conversation with you, still yet I know God is and God is sovereign and God is good. That person in the midst and in the depth of personal pain just realize his or her life's purpose. That person was driven to God personally, relating to him, crying out, and then revealing to others a reflection of an ever-present, all-loving, compassionate God. Folks, this is our life's purpose, so I wonder if we ought to be praying for one another differently. I wonder instead of praying a whole lot of ease and peace and affluence and success and money and health and wealth and all, you could do those things. Great, great. It's okay. Fine. But I wonder if instead we should say, oh God, would you use that person's travail to help them better to accomplish their twofold life's purpose? Would you use this to help this person relate more to you personally and reflect you better publicly. Folks, isn't that really what it's all about? Aren't we digging in here just a little too much? Aren't we just trying to accumulate just a little too much? Aren't we just a little too self-preservative? Folks, is it the purpose of life to survive it and succeed in it? survival and success? If so, it's no wonder so many of our fellow earthlings are intensely dissatisfied with life because that isn't the purpose of life, to survive it. How much insurance could you have? Insurance for every goofy thing. How many handguns could you have to protect yourself from evil marauders? How much working out can you do? How many vitamins can you take? How big does your stock portfolio have to be? How much do you have to own? How many cars? Is it, is it any wonder that so many of us are increasingly wealthy and increasingly unsatisfied? I didn't say there's anything wrong with the blessing God gives, but the pursuit of it. It doesn't satisfy the soul because that's not our intended purpose. Our intended purpose is to relate to God personally and to reflect God publicly. And you could do that no matter what your state of affairs is. You know, I don't have this scoped out. Don't, don't think I'm preaching at you. I, we're speaking about what I, what I think God has for us in terms of our life's purpose, but I don't have it scoped out. Francis Schaeffer, the deceased Christian philosopher, used to speak about our quest for personal peace and affluence. 
In my background, my relatives say all the time, just as long as you have your health, you have everything. No, you don't. There's all kinds of physically healthy people walking around. They're like the walking dead. They're spiritually diseased. Britney Spears has a healthy body. She's not healthy. It's nuts. As long as you have your health, you have everything. No. I must tell you this. If God saw fit to allow me to be physically afflicted so that it could accentuate the purpose for which he created me to relate to him personally and reflect him publicly, it would be worth it. Please don't hear me saying we shouldn't pray for one another. We have such wonderful church members now really ailing seriously in hospitals. We must pray for their recovery. Of course we do. I'm just saying, can't we couple it with, and oh God, would you see fit to use this terribly challenging time to help this person relate to you more deeply than ever before and even reflect you, though it may be through tears, even to reflect your glory to the doctors, the nurses, and the others around he or she. Folks, shouldn't we be praying that more? Is the purpose of life just to avoid the bumps? It's no wonder we're all unsatisfied. We're not living according to... If you're not out of alignment with God's intended purpose and he's the manufacturer, <laughs> then we the product, it, we just cannot be satisfied. Now, now I told you, I, I don't get this, but there's a guy, one of my ancestors, who did. And I'm really glad that God recorded his words for us. He wrote a psalm. It's in Psalm 73. Just a couple of verses I want to call your attention to as we draw to a close. Psalm 73, 25, 26. Look, whom have I in heaven? but thee. And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean you can't have a car, a home, a vacation, and so on. I think the psalmist is simply saying, through all the things of life, I want to find you. I don't want them to distract me from you. I want them to be a means to the end of getting to know you more. My flesh and my heart, says he, may fail. Look, you see? My flesh and my heart may fail. I may need a cardiologist and a dermatologist. That's what I think this is going on here. <laughs> but God, two magnificent words, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he got the first part of his life's purpose scoped out. He said, even if I fail in these fundamental areas of life, God can be my strength even in it and in spite of it and perhaps through it. I come to recognize more meaningfully than ever before. He is my portion forever. All I got to do is get through this life. All I got to do is get through this life. And even though I may get through a little sooner than I wanted to, I mean, I don't, we don't know. The real issue is, he is my portion forever. Well, well, what could God possibly give us if he's such a good God and if he's such a loving God? And, you know, we, that, that's, our, that's our thing around here, living proof of, in fact, we wear it on our wrist. I, I wear it all the time since this morning. <laughs> 
See that, Brother John? I keep thinking it's a wristwatch, but it doesn't. Listen, living proof of a loving God to a watching world. But if he's such a loving God, then, then what could he give us to demonstrate? He's so loving. I have to tell you, there's only one possible answer. You know what it is. Himself. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? Yes, I believe in God, just not Jesus. I don't want to be a Baptist, whatever. I believe in God. I usually, I ask them, well, tell me about your God. I, I don't, I don't, speculation, guesswork. How could your God be loving if he hasn't even communicated himself to you? The very essence of love is communion and relationship and conversation and transparency. That's what God gave us. He gave us himself because he is a, he is a loving God. If God is to love us perfectly, he must offer us no less than that which is perfect for our fellowship and joy. And this he did. He offered us his perfect self. To be supremely loving, which we claim God to be, he must therefore give us what is best for us. It is himself. I have to tell you, it is not health and wealth. That's not the best. That is good. Please seek it. Eat right. Get exercise. Get a good doctor. Whatever the deal is. Sure. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Kind of, but that's not the best God has to offer or we'd have it. The best is even through all that, maybe to get a clearer glimpse of Almighty God than we would otherwise have, maybe to find ourselves able to say by His grace, as did the psalmist, the Lord is my strength. He is my portion forever. Wow! That's a rich and wealthy person. That is our purpose, to know God purposely. He designed us for Himself. Our purpose is to relate to him personally. And then I noticed the same writer got the second part of his life purpose scoped out. Psalm 73, 27 to 28. For behold, those who are far off from thee will perish. Thou hast destroyed all those who are unfaithful to thee. But as for me, look at this. The nearness of God is my good. Not the lottery. The nearness of God is my good. Not the promotion. That's a good thing. Oh, but this is more better. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Why? Look, now he got the second aspect of his life purpose. There it is. That I may tell of all thy works. You know, we went through, uh, my wife and I, had a hurricane, and as did you, Katrina. And it was really bad. And uh, it occurs to me we still experience the effects of it, which we just, we just do was very, very devastating. And uh, yet, I've had more opportunities <laughs> to tell people how good, how faithful God was to orchestrate things, to provide and to supply. 
through his people and for his people. And how unsaved people, distant from him, got to see, even in the midst of this terrible cataclysm, that it wasn't raw power behind it all. Oh, no. It was an almighty God who still was loving and redemptive and a provider and a supplier and would not abandon them and would be near to them if they would draw near to him and and I, I'm a little sheepish about saying this because I'm not sure I believe it quite yet, but, but I, I, I'm getting a little closer to thanking God for the hurricane. I'm not there yet. I wish I could tell you. I'm, I'm really there yet. I don't, I'm not able to trust God fully yet. Nobody is. We're growing. But I'm getting a little more able to say, oh, God, you unleashed the church through it, a sleeping giant. You got the job done. It wasn't through FEMA or the Red Cross. You got the job done through your church, through your people. Your people got to be living proof of a loving God. All it took was Katrina. Now, I have to tell you, I remember before Katrina, we sat around in church talking about being salt and light. <laughs> talking about impacting on our world. And then God got us out of the salt shaker. Don't just talk about it. And, and we didn't volunteer for the job, nothing like that. And so I must tell you, much more productive things, much more fruitful things, much more effective great commission things, much more harmony, much more unity, much more togetherness, much more giving was realized through one of the literal hurricanes of Life And we got to go all over, as did you, during those difficult days. Telling of all thy works. Folks, it is the purpose of life to know God personally and then to reflect him publicly. <clears throat> we are his image bearers. And so we have been created to enjoy him and to glorify him forever. And we could glorify him in the good times as much as in the bad times. So therefore, we can't lose. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. Our job is to see him at work and to reflect him. Um, folks, trust me on this. I'm not making this up. I'm really, really excited about our Living Proof Project. And I'll tell you why I'm saying that. It isn't the building. I'm really excited. I don't have anything to do with that. I'm really excited. It's in the hands of really, really good people here who could design, and outside our church, who could design and think and engineer and construct and, you know, work through all the codes. It's a fascinating process to me, and I'm glad I get to watch it from afar. But to me, the excitement for all of us, whether we be on one of those planning teams or not, is to say, oh, God, we are on the verge of seeing you as a supplier because you please tell me how we're going to pull it off if he doesn't. That's what's so exciting about this. It is grossly irrational. <laughs> it's not going to happen if we remove God from the equation. It's not going to happen unless the Lord builds our new worship center. 
we labor in vain, who have the audacity to think we can pull it off. That's why this is so good. Now, look, look, look. I look forward to the day if, if you know, we're still around and we haven't been raptured. And, and, and if we are, of course, Brother Chuck will be preaching that first Sunday. And so... But anyway, but anyway, but, but, but I look forward to the day when we're in there on our first celebration uh, a Sunday. But, but, I, but I look forward to the process, not just the product. And the process is going to force us to, see, draw near to God personally. Each of us will make that contribution. We'll say, oh, God, show us your generosity and your grace and your goodness Show us divine surprises. Oh, God, move us to give. Move us to pray. Move us to seek you out in your word. Move us to imagine what could be in mere physical space. Draw near to God personally. And then as we see him provide in ways we couldn't imagine, then we're going to tell the story. And we're never going to have to say, yes, that marvelous facility was provided for us through the financing of such and such commercial bank and trust of whatever. No. We're never going to... Oh, but I tell you, that would be the easy way to do it, I think. But the more exciting way is to say, oh, God, we'll just trust you. We'll be faithful. But we'll follow your lead. We'll petition you, we'll, draw, we'll clean up our individual acts so that we can enter into the throne room, talk to you personally at all times. We'll make sure there is no sin lid on the growth of our church. We'll remove it from our own lives. We'll get along with one another. We'll do all those things. That's our part. And then when it's mission accomplished, <laughs> then we'll tell everybody... We'll give you living proof of a loving God. You're in it right now. So, 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 folks, uh, this, this is Living Proof Project is simply, in my opinion, to accentuate our God-ordained life's purpose. Relate to God personally. The leaders of your church have been doing that for a long time, really in desperation, crying out to Him for wisdom and direction. Now, we all have to get on board. And then secondly, to reflect his glory. Folks, there probably isn't a church in the entire country who's going about it this way, debt-free. I, I Nobody does that. What are you talking about? And there are very few churches who can get through a program of this magnitude and still be one church. <laughs> you know how it is. Someone likes green, someone likes brown. Real big stuff. And we're going to squabble. We're going to have fights. What an adventure. We're climbing this mountain. We cannot take it. But we need the mountain to climb. You know why? Will you allow me to say this? I may be overstepping my ground. Um, maybe we're a little too lackadaisical these days. Maybe we need a mountain to climb. Maybe we need a hill to take. Maybe we need a rallying point. Maybe we need a momentum generator. <laughs> maybe we need a unifier. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. We need the same kind of adventure that has characterized this church throughout its history. You're, we're, in the, we're in it now. 
if, you, if you've listened to the Sage One story, good night. This was the hill to take. And God provided it debt-free through his people. We need another hill to take. I'm not sure we've, we've charged up a hill like this in quite a long time. And thanks to the leadership of our pastor, we're going we're gonna to do it. Are we going to take it? I, I don't have the audacity to say anything like that. <laughs> we're going to draw near to God personally. And then as we see God do marvelous things, we've had such relatively cordial meetings. No fisticuffs yet. Isn't that good? Anytime I walk out of a meeting when there's more than three people in it and they haven't uh, beat, beat each other up, I just think, hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't God good to give us a spirit of unity so, so that we relate to God personally? Hey, I tell you, would you say it with me one more time? I've, I've gone a little too long, but I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a, a little excited about what's before, so I'm really glad to be here at a time, at, at a time such as this. I want to see God glorify himself, and I want our church to reflect it. So, so can you state with me uh, by heart once again our life's purpose? Our purpose is to relate to God personally. And to reflect God publicly. Hey, Lord Jesus, this is really, really our heart's desire. Nothing else can satisfy. We are in this together collectively to encourage one another to be in alignment with your life's purpose for us. We don't want anyone to be lost along the way. No building is as important as any individual here. And I think as we uh, proceed uh, to build, you are going to be building us a fit household, a more effective, God-glorifying household through the means of this marvelous living proof project. So, oh God, we pray our relationship with you would be enhanced in evidence of your loving provision and guidance and compassion and grace and sovereignty would give us new, fresh opportunity to reflect your glory to a watching world. This is our desire. This is your intended purpose for us. Have your way with us, Lord Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen.